This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, where love is a battlefield complete with head wounds, broken bones, and the occasional penile fracture. I'm your co-host, Alice Vaughn, and with me, I have... Yvette Dontremont. Yvette, how you doing today? I'm thinking about penile fractures, and I'm I'm worried for the mental safety of our audience that we're starting off on that. But that is an appropriate way to do the intro, given given who one of our guests is. Now, we are recapping from a special uh, SciCon, CSICon, the Skeptic Con- Convention episode that we recorded live. And we had one recording go a little askew, unfortunately. And so we are re-recording one of these segments now, a little bit afterwards, and some of these are that we recorded live a little bit ago. So this is a special science-themed episode for our audience because, you know, we both come from science communication backgrounds and science backgrounds. So, you know, we kind of have to spice up the show a little bit, a little bit of science, a little bit of sex. Never did a person any harm. It depends on what science you're injecting into the sex. I just saw an article yesterday where men were injecting silicon into their balls. And I'm sorry, but no, I want to be clear testicle havers. I don't know any trans women who, when they have balls, are trying to make them bigger. But, you know, I understand it takes all kinds. It takes all kinds. I So I want to say testicle havers here. But still, you know what? If you, just some helpful advice out there, if you are an owner of testicles and you are worried about their attractiveness level for the people or person most dear in your life who may be gargling those one day, trust me, if they love you and they are interested in giving those testicles undue pleasure, they're not looking at them going, man, this person was the one, but they could have used two more cc of volume in those nads. Like, that's just not, just don't. I've never looked at testicles and said, those are impressive. I've never said that. You know, I have, I have, but they were, they were, really? it's once, once. I've only, this has happened once. And it might have just been that I was like, it was one of my earliest partners. Like, they were, uh, they were impressive. I'm just, I'm going to leave it there. I don't need to get... You know, I'm going to stay away from descriptions, from vivid descriptions of ball slapping so we can introduce our first guest. <laughs> so I feel we will be getting too granular. So our guest today, well, actually, so the first guest of this episode is Dr. Angela Mackey. She's a practicing emergency room physician. She's an MD, FACEP, and she's also the spokesperson for the American College of Emergency Physicians. So welcome to the show, Angie. Thank you so much. I appreciate your having me. And I have to just add here that that uh, the impressive testicles I have seen have all been (laughs) clinically. So just, you don't want to be in that population. I'm just telling you. I would ask for details, but I don't want to, like, we we have to be careful. We don't want to break any HIPAA violations. But what have people gotten themselves into horrible situations that they've put themselves into via sex in your emergency room in any way that you can disclose? Well, I'm trying to think of how how to answer that question because, (laughs) because the answer is, of course, yes. (laughs) I guarantee, number one, if there is any way to put yourself in the emergency department, someone has done it. And number two, sex-related complaints absolutely do happen, from sexually transmitted infections to broken penises to even testicular injuries and um, other sexually-related issues. Foreign objects is a real popular one, too. Really? 
And we'll definitely get to that. And, you know, apparently while most sex-related injuries don't require a trip to the doctor, getting hurt in the heat of the moment is actually pretty common. But it seems to be a seldom-discussed issue. It can be fairly embarrassing for most people to report to their doctor, but yet they're pretty run-of-the-mill. Actually, I did some stat searching because I love my numbers. And I actually was able to find that in the UK, there was a study that was commissioned by a phone recycling firm that found over a third of Brits uh, reported having a sex-related injury, about 5% had to admit to staying at home from work on the men from one of those bedroom blunders. But I also looked into what are the US's numbers. And according to the National Estimate of Injuries Treated in Emergency Room Departments, I did a query and I found the code, by the way, for vibrator and massage device related mishaps. The code is 1610. And in 2017, there were over 4,744 vibrator slash massage device related mishaps perhaps had led to the ER. The query device wasn't the most intuitive to use, so you'll have to forgive me if I'm off, but it seemed like 58% of the patients skewed male and the median age was 44. Women skewed younger, the median age was 30, and most of the injuries weren't terribly severe, although some were. Three quarters of patients were treated and released while 25% required hospitalization or transferred to a different facility. So what we're saying is never have sex ever. Never. Does that include dental injuries? (laughs) Wait, dental injuries? <laughs> it's a chipped tooth vibrator joke. Yeah, that has to be a thing that's happened. I liked it. So Angie, what are some common injuries you tend to see people come in due to sex? It seems like a lot of these are actually sustained, in, you know, when people do some sexual acrobatics, or they might be using stuff that shouldn't be used for certain holes. So tell us what's most common, because I'm not really sure. Well, um, one of the things that we might see that they may not actually tell us what was going on is something like a fracture, falling out of the bed or off of whatever equipment that they're using to enjoy each other. So they may not tell us the whole story behind that. As far as things that are directly sexually related, penile fracture is probably one of the more serious ones. Those do need to go to surgery right away. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. We have seen everything. Please come in. We would be happy to take care of you. We're there 24-7, 360. So please hurry in if you are having a severe pain, if you have severe bruising, especially in the penis, especially. Some women will experience discomfort with intercourse, and it may be related to an ovarian cyst rupture. But if you're having severe pain with intercourse, please come in. We do see device escape. <laughs> device escape? Trying to think of a good way to put it. Um, we do see device escape occasionally. Just ma- if you're going to use an object, please make sure it was designed to go into the area that you are using it for. No produce? So do, are you saying you recommend against jade eggs? I absolutely recommend against jade <laughs> eggs. <laughs> the problem that you do have, even when the device is made to go into a place that if there's some sort of retrieval mechanism, it could be mal- it could malfunction. So um, just be careful, please. You know, speaking of um, things getting stuck in areas, one thing that I've actually never been quite certain of how it happens is how does, and I, I hear this is relatively common, of condoms getting lost in uh, females' uh, vaginas. How does that happen? 
Well, it's not truly lost. The vagina is not a blind pouch, but the uterus, there's no way that it could go into the cervix at all. But it will commonly get um, up into the area between the cervix and the posterior wall of the vagina. So really, if you do discover that the condom is missing and you're certain that it, it didn't fall out or your partner didn't remove it without your knowledge, then typically if you do a deep squat, you can often do a finger sweep and find it. Otherwise, like I say, we're happy to go look for you. They can send a search committee in. They have flashlights. They have the necessary equipment. They can they can go that deep. We have the spelunking helmets and everything, yes. And retrieval devices, absolutely. I am picturing a tiny little team of people with ropes going into the vagina, and it's amazing. I know you are. This is why I didn't get into the good schools. <laughs> so you mentioned penile fractures. They're not actually fractures as so much tears in a tissue of the penis. Is that correct? That's correct. There's a tough uh, fibrous covering of the erectile tissue of the penis, and it can tear. And when it does, there's usually some pretty impressive bruising. Uh, there certainly is a, cer- a large amount of pain. There'll be swelling associated with this, and there may be, the- and the penis will also be deformed. Guys, your dick shouldn't be bruised or deformed. There is your <laughs> first sign that you should. That's the- if nothing else, that's your best takeaway message. Yeah. So make sure you put some cool compresses on it and get to the emergency department as quickly as you can. These doctors care about the health and safety of your dick. What happens if you hypothetically don't go to the emergency room and you do experience a penile fracture? Well, well, you'll get scar tissue development eventually. It could cause disruption of urine flow once the scar tissue forms. You could have problems with obtaining erection in the future, and you could have a deformity related to the penis. So it's pretty important to get that taken care of. They were quite rare, it seems like, actually. I found um, it was really hard for me to find what recent numbers were, but I know in 2015 there was a report over a three-year period where there were only 42 cases of penile fracture, which is super low. Um, I don't know where they pulled their numbers from, but is it that low? Well, I can tell you that in my career, I've seen probably three of them. Okay. And um, I'm about 16 years in, and I've seen three of them. Saw one about a month ago. Whoever you are, uh, good luck and happy healing. But off of off of penis fractures, because we're we know every man in our audience is crossing his legs, going, <laughs> "Oh God, why?" There has to be another injury that's horrifying and vagina drying that you guys can talk about, right? Can I end with a penis fun fact? Of course, you can always end with a penis fun fact. So, a fun fact about the penis: it can handle eight times more blood pressure than the blood vessels in your brain. <laughs> So men really can handle more blood in their penis than they can in their brain. Well done, gents. Well done. (laughs) How much blood goes into the clitoris? I would guess far less. I would assume far less. See, this is is why you should put women in charge. We have more blood hanging out up here. This is my theory and I'm sticking to it. We just hire women. We have more blood in our brains. It's, It's science. It's science. Of course, I, I'm, I'm pulling that. I'm face palming. I'm face palming. <laughs> the doctor is looking at me like, really, Yvette? Really? <laughs> there have to be other things that are that can be related to sex, but aren't necessarily like one thing that you can get either from sex, sexual activity, um, or shall we say, even appropriate use of an uh, of a toy are UTIs, and that's something that's fairly common. How I mean. People have to not only come in for that, but also say they've done everything other than sexual activity to have gotten that. Well, it's actually, when you say it's very common, it's extremely common. In fact, we have a slang term for it. We call it honeymoon cystitis. (laughs) 
where presumably the couple has been engaging in very frequent intercourse and the woman comes in after her honeymoon with a urinary tract infection. That's why it's so important to maintain good uh, urethral hygiene. Urinate before and after sex, wipe front to back, and drink plenty of fluids to try to make sure you keep good urine flow to help prevent that from happening. Is there actual scientific evidence that those things do reduce in incidence of UTI? Well, they won't hurt, and uh, it would certainly minimize the chances. I've read that cranberry is a plus or a minus. Um, if you like it, whatever, it's probably it's not going to hurt you. I like that. I like excuse excuse to have a cosmopolitan, which I'm sure gives all the medical benefits. Because <laughs> that has nothing at all to contribute oh, yeah. to the frequency oh, of yeah. your sexual activity. <laughs> yeah, nothing. For a while, I've called the honeymoon period the UTI period because I I figure the first handful of months of, of a relationship, you're willing to sacrifice the health and safety of your kidneys because there's sex to be had. I, and that's, I think that is a perfectly valid thing to do, at least temporarily. Well, this is one of the reasons I have job security because people are willing <laughs> to do a lot of things in order to have sexual activity. So Sometimes worth it. <laughs> Sometimes it is worth it. But that's the thing. Women will often not, from what I'm aware of, or have at least read, not feel any pain until after sex because uh, the arousal raises pain tolerance. And, you know, unless cuts and are sizable and bleeding doesn't stop on its own, then it's like, oh, I should seek medical attention or pre to prevent infection. I mean, unless your partner is going down on you after like having spicy food, you probably won't feel it immediately. <laughs> oh my God. Maybe, but um, I've also seen a woman who was complaining of some dermal irritation because her partner had facial hair. Really? So, guys, you know, shave. <laughs> if you're not shaving, at least use some beard oil. Keep it unscratchy. I did not know that a, a scratchy beard can do that. Well, it's very sensitive tissue. And repeated abrasion like that, I mean, it, even if you, like you explained about the increased pain tolerance, you may not notice in the moment, but then afterwards may have some significant irritation. These are all good points. <laughs> I love how everyone is silent in thought. <laughs> I mean, I think often think of the, the health and safety of my vagina. I don't often think of all the things that can go wrong with all of the vaginas. <laughs> these are these are things that you have become intimately acquainted with over the course of your career. So I'm like, tell me more, doctor. <laughs> I've seen a lot of vaginas in my career. So and, and most of the time, if they're coming in, they're not feeling good. Oh, and have you ever seen someone come in because they just didn't use enough lube? I know we all just feel so deeply sad. Yes, actually, uh, both male and female. Oh, well, tell us more about what hypothetically could happen. So yes, it's very important to use lube. I have seen irritation from people not using enough lube. So it's very important to use generous amounts of lube when you're either vaginal or anal penetration. Please use plenty of lube. It's however much, especially for anal, however much lube you need. I know I've said this on the show before, double it, triple it. Just use more. There is plenty. It's not expensive. If you've had a bad experience before and you're like, you know what, I'm not a quitter. It's a lot of times bad experiences with this type of sex come from going too quickly and not using enough lube. So don't do it with a partner that you don't trust to go slow enough uh, and take your time. 
Take your time. Yep. And if it's very painful, please, please stop. Yeah. Sex shouldn't ma- be making you hit the red on pain. That's not, that's not okay. I mean, unless you're into masochism, in which case, you know, even then. If you like it rough, there, there's only so much you can do. Have your limits. <laughs> don't land yourself in Angie's hospital. I mean, she's fun to hang out with, but please don't. Be smart. I have plenty of patience to see otherwise, I promise you. <laughs> if you're careful and you can avoid seeing me, that just makes me happy for you. Angie, is is there anything that you'd want to promote as good sex habits or things where it's like, hey, people should kind of stop doing this? Or what would you recommend to our audience out of curiosity? Aside from use toys for their intended purpose. I certainly wouldn't want to deprive anyone of having whatever enjoyment that they want to as long as everyone is a consenting adult. Please use condoms. Please protect yourself. Please make sure whatever you're engaging in that you feel safe and that you've got safe, safe plan, safety plan. If you do have an injury or a problem, we are happy to see you. We're there 24-7. You, can, you are welcome to come in and, and uh, be evaluated. Uh, sexually transmitted infections are best checked out by your own physicians, but please wear condoms or some sort of barrier protection. That's kind of the best thing I could recommend. How often should people be tested? Uh, They should see their primary care physician. It depends on the activities involved, but that's not usually an emergency sort of thing. So consulting with your physician and make sure you feel comfortable talking to your physician. Please don't hold anything back. It's really important for us to have all of the information. I promise you we have seen it all before. If you have a doctor who you cannot talk with openly and honestly about your sexual health, your sexual history, you probably need another doctor. And I mean, I've, I've spoken with Angie about this before. I have been severely shamed for going into an ER for not even having sex, for saying there is something that is itching and irritated down there. Please check it out. I had a nurse looking at me and just shaking her head at me going... You shouldn't have, you should have said no. I'm like, I didn't even have, why are you? And I mean, if that's the type of relationship you have with a medical professional, that's not appropriate from a medical professional. That's not, you need to have someone who can listen to you for your health concerns. So this is a a really salient point to make. Yeah, I'm very sorry you had that experience. I certainly wouldn't want anyone in my staff to talk like that. But it is very important to have a good relationship where you feel comfortable sharing that information. But please share it. It's really important. Yep. And if, you know, something's throbbing, you know, a simple muscle pull or a stumble is enough to leave you throbbing in a less pleasurable way, probably see a physician or go easy on it next time. (laughs) Right. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, Angie. It's been wonderful. I hope we can grab you back on the next time we've got a medical question, which I'm sure is going to come up at some point in time. Uh, We're looking forward to seeing you again the next time that we're all at a conference and there needs to be a a sake and, and, uh, and, and hibachi grill hangout. That's, that's a thing that I needs to be in my life, needs to be in my life always. I couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, please let me know if you have any questions. And if you have any severe problems, remember the emergency department, we are there 24 seven, 365. They're there more often than Walgreens people. Now, where can people find you, you specifically? Now, I know you you do a couple things in skepticism. You work on, on Dragon Con, correct? That's right. That's right. I'm the assistant director of the Dragon Con uh, Skeptic Track uh, in Atlanta on Labor Day weekend. Please come. We'd be happy to have you and happy to see everyone come up and say hi and uh, make appearances at other uh, events around the country. She's wonderful. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. I love you so much, Angie. Uh, and I'm, I love you, and too. Th- oh, it's, and we will see you next time we're all hanging out. Thank you so much. 
Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike. We are now here with Timothy Caulfield. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Well, we're glad to have you on. So for our listeners, uh, so Tim actually, uh, he has a show on Netflix. It's called The User's Guide to Cheating Death. Tim, what's the premise of the show? It's a show rooted in science. The core is about science, which is good, right? But we look at primarily health myths and trends. We want to talk about the science, what the science actually says, but we also want to get other perspectives, right? It's not a gotcha show. We really do want to hear what these other perspectives are and what's sort of driving the interest in this stuff. In addition to that, we try to have a lot of fun and we travel all over the world to explore this stuff. You just actually mentioned that you put out an episode on sex. I mean, this kind of is a porn podcast. So So this was a, we went to Japan. There's nothing weird and sexual in Japan. No, that's not. It's the epicenter of dot, dot, dot. We went there because, uh, you guys probably maybe know this, It's they're actually having kind of a sex and relationship crisis, the, right? The, as they call it, the grass-eating menace. The men who have kind of opted out of sex relationships, having children. It's just too much work. You know, it's too much effort. I don't blame them. I mean, the expectations to work there are like have 16-hour days because you're working at work. And then it's mandatory to go out with your coworkers. And I mean, it's kind of famous drunk Japan man. I feel like that's a meme on the internet where you see these men in business suits at the subway who are just keeled over vomiting and they're constantly working. And there's such a high expectation to be successful. I mean, I don't know what the rate of getting laid is in Japan, but I would give up. That's a good question. It's actually low. We interviewed a sociologist. Japanese listeners, please have sex. I want everyone to have be having good, happy sex. So it's just depressing. This expert said that the younger generation is having less sex than their parents. That's what's said about us in America, too. I say this like we're all Americans. Tim's Canadian, so he's better than us. I'm just saying. It is a, it's a crisis. Not you're, you're right. Yvette. Not just in Japan, but you're seeing this kind of erosion of relationships, right? It's not just sex, but a relationship. We, yeah, we went th- went to Japan because as you probably know, they're developing all these sort of surrogates. So we cuddling, you know, you heard about this where you pay someone to cuddle with. Yes. And they have a plethora of love hotels, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing that we did is explore the the love doll in industry. I'm sure oh, you absolutely. Oh, yes. We haven't had an episode on love dolls yet, but please tell us more. So- <laughs> I'm intrigued. I want to know. I know they could get fairly pricey. Yeah. I just want to know if they have a, a functional male one yet. Because equality. That's that's exactly why I want to know. Equality. So that's a good question. I did not see a male version because it was, it was being pitched to me as the client. <laughs> I mean, Yvette, consider how many toys we have that are made in Japan. The women are fine. I, I want one that thrusts. I'm not asking too much. I'm sure given the robotic technology now, Yvette, that that is around the corner. Just around the corner. Yes. I just, I I have, look, I'm demanding. Anyways, tell us more. Well, if you are demanding, then maybe the love doll is the way that you want to go. It was fascinating because they do look real, but in a kind of an anime kind of vibe to it. And there's also a little bit of an age issue. I mean, they look, you know, which creeps you out a little bit too, because they... They look very young. We did two, we did a couple things, but one of the things that we did was we had a individual who runs a, a company where they rent these dolls. And what they do is they bring you in a selection and you can see the, 
selecting <laughs> all of the episodes. And then they rent it to you. If we were going to fulfill this order, they would bring it to the hotel room and then come back, you know, hours later to pick it up and I assume clean it. One can only hope. Um, <laughs> There's an occupation where you're a sex doll cleaner. Consider that. What's the experience you need on a resume for that? Two, four years of college? Should we ask Gwyneth Paltrow if shoving a jade egg into their vaginas would give them the healing energy to make sure that there are no STDs in there afterwards? Maybe that's a question Gwyneth can answer for us. That would or, be the control group. Maybe the placebo group could be the love doll. Exactly. I mean, some of them can use bleach. Some of them can use jade eggs. You get to choose which pussy you trust. But I know that also in Japan, they have a number of sex hotels, uh, love hotels, actually. I believe that, gosh, I heard some sort of weird statistic. It was a while and I could be completely wrong when I say this. I feel like there's more love hotels and there are, there's definitely more love hotels than there are actual hotels, but I think maybe then there are. But I had an experience once of going to a love hotel when I was in Japan. And it's really interesting because you can, you get a menu of stuff. So you can order everything from women to toys to costumes. You can dress up if you want, like a goddamn T-Rex or, you know, because velociraptor porn is your shtick, they've got you covered. I've seen pterodactyl porn, and I'm I'm still scarred slash titillated. If you want to dress up like the characters in you know Mario Kart, that's just Tuesdays. You have to you have to keep <laughs> you have, look. I'm married. I have to keep it spicy. Bowser porn did peak on the internet like this past year or so. Oh, Bowser porn. Bowser. Bowser. This naive Canadian. <laughs> What's going on? We're destroying Mr. Caulfield. (laughs) So maybe our listeners aren't familiar with the concept of a jade egg. So for those who've never shoved a rock in their pussy, tell us more. I, I, you know, this got so much news. Am I right that it's? it's I, can't I feel believe like most people know, but I mean, here's vaguely are aware of, right? We also know about it because we're in this movement. So you know, because you literally wrote the book on Gwyneth Paltrow. I just wrote the. I wrote an article. You wrote the damn book. But explain the jade egg phenomenon to us. You know, and, and it's weird because I feel as you know, as a, a male, I'm not sure I should be <laughs> the one conveying this information, but. The whole idea is that this jade egg, which is really just a, a, a rock, right? That I think it's sixty-six dollars on yeah. the Goop website. It's a po- well-polished, pretty rock. Technically, it's a gemstone, and some geology friends will will try to correct me. It's not a rock. It's, I'm like, fuck you. It's a. Ro-. Well, if I throw it up someone's head, will they know the difference? No, it's a it's rock. It's a rock. It's a rock. The idea is that it's supposed to have all these health benefits. First of all, it's supposed to have like the classic energy alignment kind of thing that you always hear associated with these kind of products. But then there's more specific things that it helps from a health perspective. And of course, it's supposed to exercise your vagina for the purposes of sex, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the other pitch. So, you know, that's the kind of, and there's, you know, no evidence to support this at all. And as people like Jen Gunter pointed out, there, there could even be health issues associated with risk, risk issues. I wrote a, a, a parody article saying that women, because there was, it was partially, you and I kind of like, we bounced this one back and forth. It was our, it was the preliminary part of our eventual business entanglement. Uh, I wrote an article because there was a shortage on them, a shortage on the jade eggs. And there was a waiting list, a 4,000 person waiting list because ladies in Beverly Hills were just dying to shove something up there. It's interesting about our work, right? Because you, yeah. you wonder because it became so controversial in part because we mocked it so much that it, are you are you doing more harm than good in a way, right? So, so well, here was my theory was that I'm like, well, I wonder if they're sharing them. So I wrote a satire article saying that there was a breakout of herpes in the Beverly Hills area because women <laughs> were sharing them. And here's the thing, because like, I don't know if it was satire executed executed well or if it's well would the virus survive i don't know if it would let's get let's get down to the side people started sharing it as though it was the truth 
And that we, I'm like, but you know what? Shit is so weird with this part of the universe that I believe it almost. We've seen crazier stuff. We've seen turpentine enemas, okay? Jade egg transmitted herpes is not too far behind. Well, well people are getting uh, infections from the vampire facial, oh. you know, and then you, you saw, you know, I've talked about this before, about people getting, having to get tested for HIV and hepatitis as a result of colonics and, oh, you know, like, not be having the instruments cleaned, yeah. you know, so. Like, don't, don't shove a hose up your, up, like, don't shove anything, uh, as George Carlin phrased it, larger than a fist and less loving than a dildo up your ass. And use good lube. Just uh, however much lube you think, double it, triple it. Going back, I know that, you know, women have the woo with the jade eggs, but there's also, I mean, there's this huge supplement woo when it comes to marketing towards men of like, take this pill, it'll help your stamina or make your dick bigger. Horny goat weed. It has horny in it, so it'll make you horny, right? It is, that is, absolutely, that's a huge phenomenon, right? And, and a huge industry with the whole, layered on top of the whole entire bunk supplement industry, right? And um, as you probably know, there's even studies that have shown Number one, they don't work. Let's start with that. There's no evidence to say they work. But number two, yes. they're often contaminated, right? You know, they, they have, sometimes they'll have real, like that Viagra in them, right? Surprise, it worked, right? And number three, there are sometimes environmental issues and animal rights issues here. Like, you know, it's... Rhino horn. Exactly, rhino horn. So, yeah, stay away. Just because this rhino has a giant bony nose does not mean it's going to give you a giant, bow rock hard... Yeah, just don't, don't fucking make more rhinos die for your penis. That's not okay. We haven't really discussed this with our audience. I mean, our science following audience will be aware of this issues within the supplement industry, but, you know, just to preface for them. So supplements are actually completely unregulated, at least within the United States. Um, I know in Australia and a number of countries it's unregulated. I don't know how it is in Canada, but I know in the U.S. at least it's completely unregulated. You would think, oh, it's on the shelves and it's healthy and it's in nutrition and supplements, but no, no, it's not shown to work. It is a really frustrating industry because people often don't realize it's a multi-billion dollar industry. It is largely unregulated. You're right about that. And it has very little evidence to support it. And most of the evidence does exist suggest it doesn't work. There are interesting conversations around things like vitamin D and omega-3. I think the research around that is probably more equivocal than the public realizes, but let's be open-minded about the research going forward. But yeah, it is a really problematic industry. And I, and I one of the ones where I wish that there would be you know stronger regulatory actions, particularly in this zone. I think we all would want to, especially if you're getting a vitamin in, or a supplement and it says, oh, well, this is vitamin X or whatever it might be. You hope that what you're consuming is specifically that. But the problem is there's so many fillers and most of the, t- of the time, like it's the rule, it's not the exception. Yeah, it's a huge number. We're not talking about like 2% yeah. or it's a huge no, portion of the industry. It's at least a third. 40, 30 or 40%, something like that, have something else in there or don't even contain the thing you you think you're consuming. And I know actually it was in Australia a few years ago, they came out with a study that said that something like 90% of the vitamins that they tested and 90% had like an extra ingredient in it. And at least half of those had something that could be potentially as classified as a steroid. Yeah, now, it's were terrible. They, uh, were they vitamins or things like milk thistle? Because because I, I think there, like, there are cases in which vitamins are advised from a doctor, people with absorption issues, people with deficiencies and reasons why they can't entirely get everything they need out of their diet. So we're not, in the event that your doctor has advised you to take a supplement, there are mm-hmm. times when this will happen. Folic acid, some people who cannot absorb enough vitamin D or vitamin B, but most of like, 
there's never a time when you're deficient on fucking milk thistle, okay? Uh, this is never, like, whenever you see something that says, proves circulatory action, supports liver, fun- something like that, and there's an asterisk or a star, or something next to it saying these statements have not been evaluated by the FDA, it means it probably doesn't fucking work because if these people wanted to market it and say this does work, there are ways to get that on the shelf. There are ways to go through those clinical trials and prove the thing, and they don't do it because they know they're probably, so- or they probably Probably. I can't say what's in their head, but they probably know they're selling bullshit. So going back to sex. So I know that you (laughs) interviewed some porn stars recently. I did for my book, uh, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? And and, uh, it was fascinating for me. It, we went. I went to the valley, which is uh, where you go. Oh yes, I, oh, yes. I, I used to live in Burbank, and that was. We'd go to breakfast in Pasadena, and like we'd do the judge of uh, of fitness model or porn star, fitness model or porn star, and it's it, like we'd go with how much Botox there was. That Venn diagram can overlap. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> but it was interesting because what I was interested in is the vagina re- rejuvenation uh, therapy, right? The impact that that is having on, which is terrible, right? You know, that, that's having. I heard it's mostly bullshit. Is it? Well, you can get surgery, right? And it's, yeah, it's all. Does it leave you more mangled? And you like, does it? Does, I feel like it's something that could hurt sensitivity, that could leave you in pain, that could cause nerve damage. Like, I have a few friends who are trans women, and I, I'm going to keep this brief because this is sensitive, but one of the surgeries did not go well. Well, that's this is exactly what I wanted to interview them for, right? Is. Yeah. Because there is evidence that more and more people are getting, you know, sometimes very young women are, you know, who don't feel good about their bodies because of the social pressures created by the porn industry. And, you know, the porn stars I interviewed, you know, they agreed that that, you know, you have to have a nice looking vagina, right? And uh, so they, they had said that that's like standard. And so it's creating this, these false expectations and this pressure to alter your body. And, and, and it's the kind of surgery too, you know, you can't go back, right? You know, it's, you've altered yourself. Most people don't know the risk associated with it at all either. So. Uh, well, exactly what uh, you said. You- Basically, they're trimming and tightening things. And I, I've heard, I, you know, I don't want to get how they do the procedure incorrect. So if you want to, if you're brave enough to look into that and, you, and you're not someone who's going to go, because that sounds uncomfortable, go ahead and Google that I'm going to spare. But I mean, you know, you are trimming parts from an area that is sensitive, that stays warm uh, and moist and is just a bastion for bacteria. And it's kind of a self-cleaning oven most of the time. But if you screw with that flora, it's going to come back to itch. Um, and I, I want, I care deeply about the health of all of your vaginas, all of them. And I want you to not be itchy. One thing actually I do want to say is that I feel like there, you're right, Tim, there is absolutely a social pressure to have. A- Glad you said it. <laughs> I mean, I think some of this comes from younger men and their handful of first experiences looking at it and going, ah, cause you know, it's, I'm pretty sure I took a mirror to mine and went, is mine supposed to look like that? Like, there's the, there are those moments in your life that you're horrified by this thing because it is it is weird looking when you first see it, especially, you know, the first time you see genitalia of the opposite sex. And, like, you might not know what it's supposed to look like. It's, you know, it's you know, really does speak to the power, though, you know, for your show, yeah. the power of the porn industry. Because yeah. you think that's where these norms are, are coming from, right? People think assholes are supposed to be light pink. They are not. <laughs> Don't if you know if bleaching your asshole is a thing that you keeps like the thought of it not being light pink keeps you up at night. Sure, but like you don't bleach your asshole. 
person you're interested in, if you're in a relationship with, is so put off by how that looks. And it's not something that bothers you, and it's not affecting the comfort and pleasure of sex. They're just like, I just don't like the color or the, there's something, it doesn't look like it doesn't pour, hit them. I mean, don't hit them. That's that's illegal. Get out of the relationship. You know, find, you know, tell t- tell them, you know what looks funny about some penises? All the penises. They all look funny. And you know what? If you're if you're into... I was wondering if we were going to get around to that. You know, <laughs> I have never seen a dick that didn't look funny. But you know what? We still like them. They get the job done. How did I get on this podcast? I want to know. I think you... <laughs> Tim, it's because I love and respect your work so much. And I was hoping we could have a goofy conversation. Mission accomplished, and, right? <laughs> And it's because I wanted my audience of silly people to go watch your very uh, interesting, serious show. And it's I, I think they're going to love it when they see it, too. So if we could get you awesome. promoted, that was, that was a good goal. Exactly. So it's The User's Guide to Cheating Death. It's on Netflix right now, right? Correct. And it, it kept me entertained uh, through a very long flight recently. You guys are going to love it. What are some of the things you cover other than sex in the show to, to whet the appetite? We've uh, got sleep, which is a big topic, right? Oh, yeah. We've got, we have first one's detox. We do a cosmetic surgery episode. Uh, we do high tech stuff like genetics and stem cell research. And we do germs. We have a germ one. So the microbiome, like we, and it's a lot of this stuff is out there. It's out there. And uh, yeah, it's fun. I mean, uh, we cover uh, a lot of broad topics also like fitness and, and dieting. I was going to say the fitness and dieting episode because that's something I cover a lot. I dug it a lot. And I was glad that you kind of drove home the point. And this is something that people are very confused about, how to lose weight, how to keep yourself, uh, keep your body healthy. Uh, and I, I like that it was driven home. Exercise gives you a lot of great health benefits, but it is not the way to lose weight. Uh, losing weight is mainly through diet. Now, uh, I, I like pushing that home that that point home to people but let's remember diet is hard to control food is fucking delicious uh so i mean it's not a human failing not to be able to to manage that it's just so the food's good <laughs> you know i'm very i'm glad you brought that up. i'm very proud of that episode because it was, so well done. Uh, so well done. It was we really wanted to, you know no weight bias and we're not yeah. shaming people for their bodies exactly. and the message is you know eating living a healthy lifestyle eating well um exercising I can guarantee you're going to feel better, right? You may not look like a supermodel, but that's not the goal here. The goal is to, you know, accept who you are and live a healthy lifestyle. Tim, thanks for joining us on our little porncast. My Twitter is at Caulfield Tim. And my Instagram is also at Caulfield Tim. And it's, it's, it's a sad Instagram feed. My cat has more followers. So, so (laughs) follow up. It's okay. It's, I'll start following you now because I, I need I need more more Tim Caulfield cat pictures in my life. And of course, uh, once again, the show is a user's guide to cheating death. It's on Netflix. Thank now. you, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. So now I'm going to be joined by Dr. Abby Hafer. Hey, Abby, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Dr. Abby Hafer uh, has a doctorate in zoology from Oxford University. She teaches human anatomy and physiology currently at Curry College in Milton, Massachusetts. From what I'm hearing, your specialty is in regards to sex, sexuality, the gender binary. I could be wrong. Right. Well, when I was doing zoology, I actually, my actual research was in animal behavior, but what it was really all about was evolutionary biology. So I am interested in how sex evolved and how sex is used as an adaptation in the natural world. And it's a subject that kind of was 
really developing well while I was an undergraduate. So there was just a lot of material that was coming out at the time. Now, just to inform our, our listeners, uh, I first met you at, I think, I think was it Skeptical or Skepticon? I'm mixing up the names of the... You know, I first met you at Aresia forever ago. We, we, we first met at Aresia forever ago, which is a small, no, a medium-sized science fiction convention in the Boston area. For a bunch of us nerdy people and who, who drop our R's. And then, and then we saw each other again at, a, at another conference out in California. And she gave this wonderful talk, uh, kind of debunking the gender binary through zoology. And uh, I, you know, it was it was a wonderful talk because instead of telling you you are wrong if you think that there's there are only two genders, it kind of showed you know that if you thought that this uh, that this was just a human phenomenon, that it's just the crazy kids. Well, hold on, there there are some examples throughout the animal kingdom that might show that this isn't just a human phenomenon. Let's go through a few examples. What's your favorite one of something that's a little bit out of the ordinary in the animal kingdom? Okay, well, something that is out of the ordinary, at least to many people's way of thinking about it, is all the transsexual fish. And there are just lots of transsexual fish out there. Really? Oh, my. Oh, yeah. I mean, I knew about the clownfish, but I didn't realize that there's a lot. Of course, and then we always know there's Kanye West, who's a gay fish. Oh, yeah. F- g- gay, gay fish sticks? Yeah. He likes having fish dicks in his mouth. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Fish sticks, yeah. Have you seen that South Park episode? No. It's no. a classic. Oh. It's how we found out that Kanye is a, a gay fish and that Kim is a hobbit. Oh, I didn't know that. Good okay. episodes of South. Moving on. Moving on. Back to science. Right. No, when I was an undergraduate, my marine biology professor taught me about a particular kind of fish. I don't even remember which kind it was anymore, but where there was a whole, there's a whole school of fish and they are all female except for one male. Lucky him. That male does the breeding. Yeah, lucky him. Exactly. Oh, wait, he does the breeding as in he... Well, the, the females do the breeding and all the females have to mate with him. So yes, lucky him. But then when he dies, basically there's a brief competition amongst a few of the larger females and eventually one emerges, and that female then transitions and becomes the new male. And then the school of fish just kind of goes on the the way they had been. And this just goes on and on and on, and my marine biology professor even said, here, you know, when you're on Christmas break, go to the Smithsonian and go into the research wing, and they've got a fish tank full of these fish, and you can go see them. So I did, and it was terrific. And then when I was writing this talk many decades later, because I was pissed off about bathroom bills and the Pulse (laughs) nightclub shooting, and I thought to myself, you know, I have known enough to debunk this stuff since I was an undergraduate. Um, I then started reading up about what had been learned in the past 30 years about transsexual fish. And boy, is there a lot to learn. Lots of transsexual fish is up there. Lots of transsexual fish. There are fish that transsec- that transition from female to male, male to female. Um, the clownfish is... There's gender fluidity. It not There are some that transition one way and then back again, depending upon the circumstances. I was about to ask. That's gender fluidity then, right? That is gender fluidity, absolutely. Do insects have gender fluidity? I feel like I've heard this before. Insects, I am not sure about insects. I couldn't tell you. I'm, I'm not up on insect sexuality. Sorry about that. I was about to say there, I was, I was looking for the word for um, for having two genders, and it always starts with an A, and I was about to say there are amphibious frogs. I'm like, wait, wait, that's not what I'm looking for. Because uh, that's exactly what frogs are. Yeah, they are amphibians. Well, but there are animals that are hermaphrodites. Yeah. 
where they have the reproductive organs of both sexes, and I talk about them in my talk, things like snails, some jellyfish, and so on, are hermaphrodites. So all of them have both sets of, sets of sex organs. Isn't that fun? Well, a quick question. Is there a dominant sex organ ever, or it's just it could go back and forth, or whatever they feel like? Nah, they're, they're, just all, they're just all there. That's all, you know. And amongst hermaphroditic species, as I recall, some of them can self-fertilize and others cannot. When one self-fertilizes, is it, is it like a clone of itself? It's basically cloning, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. How do we get to that point? <laughs> Is it masturbation or is it fucking yourself? I'm not, and I feel like those are two different... I think it's fucking yourself, literally, yeah. at that point. I think those are two different things. It's kind of like the difference between a gangbang and an orgy. There's a slight difference. I swear to God. They're two, they are two different categories on browsers. I think they are different. Okay, now I feel like you need to find that for our audience. So a gangbang is when there, I think, are multiple men and one maximum two women. Uh, I mean, lot, lots and lots of men. And an orgy is when there's more of a gender balance. Huh. Never thought about it that way. And an orgy is when there is more of a gender balance. At least that is my description. If you would disagree with me, write us at info at twogirlsonemikepod.com. Uh, anyways, back back to this. So there's a lot of gender flip-flopping there. And I mean, it's interesting because with humans, because we have uh, intersex as a, a gender, gender idea. I'm not sure what the, is that gender or sex uh, in humans? I Please tell me which one I'm saying wrong, because I know I'm saying one of them wrong. But uh, intersex is gender-oriented? Anyways, maybe we should define between the difference between gender and sex for our audience. And I'm going to screw it up and I apologize. But I mean, really quickly, there are specific medical um, needs and uh, and complications that come along with being intersex. And for a long time, these people have been treated as, well, we're just going to chop one or the other off. Right. You're just wrong somehow. Yes. Yeah. You know? and, and instead, like, there's a reason why it's been kind of important to have inclusion and to, you know, as much as it annoys us to, you know, start using every letter in the quilt bag, it's good to start recognizing that there's, you know, there is a lot of diversity uh, in this. My question is when it comes to intersex, um, so I would assume, or correct me if I'm completely wrong, is that different from transgenderism? Yes. We should probably define intersex for our audience, what the difference is, as well as how prevalent it is, because I feel like it's not prevalent. It's not very prevalent from what I understand, and please... Uh, as I always tell people in my other in my other life, uh, fact check me, write in, tell me what I got wrong. We want to be fact checked. So a couple things: uh, t- uh, being transgender, uh, different when somebody uh, is you know is born presenting as one gender uh, and feels and knows that they are the other gender, deeply knows that they are, and you know will transition using hormones surgery uh, so that they're presenting as the gender that they feel they are. And we're eventually going to have a trans porn star on, so we can speak about this in more detail, obviously. So. We will get to you all, I promise. Uh, and whereas intersex is you are born with some combination of both or a... Sometimes you'll have one set of chromosomes and you'll have gonads not descending. I mean, there are lots of different varieties of intersex. I don't want to say disorders, but you know, there, there are lots of different medical complications that can come with the title of intersex. Uh, and I think it's good that's being recognized so that people can be treated medically correctly when they're born. I feel like we need to have a discussion with, I mean, but then again, maybe Abby, do you know a little bit more about human intersex or do we need a different doctor? Uh, you need a different doctor for that. Okay. I would recommend Harriet Hall. She's wonderful. Absolutely. Oh yeah. She's fantastic. Let's get back to animals. Let's back get- to Fish, back, back to, to animals. Back to fish. <laughs>
So, I mean, we've gone over a little bit on the way that, that they gender bend a little bit. How about, are they sexually weird? Are there, are there since we know that Kanye West is a gay fish, are there gay fish? I need to know. Well, there are, there are certainly gay mammals, I'll put it that way, and gay seagulls. And, I did not know about that. Oh, yeah. Well, let, let's see. Let's. Oh, wait. We need to talk about gay seagulls. Okay. Well, let, let's just start out because there's all kinds of fun things. Okay, let me see. There are gay rams. I love the fact that it's rams. I have, there's so many jokes. You know, that very symbol of raging male horniness. And about 8% of all rams, these are male sheep, by the way, actually form same-sex pair bonds and basically ignore females for their entire lives. So about 8% for rams. That's just one example, but it's one that I like. What are species, you know, exhibit homosexual behavior? Okay, well, in terms of sort of male homosexual behavior, I can certainly also say or female. that uh, primates do. There's a whole, they will enjoy it. They just do it all, yeah. Yeah, bonobos, like, definitely a lot. And, of course, there were the famous gay penguins at, was it the Bronx Zoo, I think? Yeah. I think so. And, I mean, who who doesn't love a gay penguin? They're so adorable. They're just so adorable. They're so sweet. And, I mean, they're adopting eggs. They're doing the Lord's work if we believed in the Lord. Raising a child who needs to be raised, who has been rejected by its parents and so on. So, wonderful stuff. Yes. Those are good penguins. They're good penguins, right. If there's not a children's book on gay penguins, there needs to be one. John Oliver, I'm looking at you. You need to get this done. Oh, I'm sure. I think there there are at least one. I think that'll be our first book. Two girls, one children's book. There you go. Let me see. So yes, there are albatrosses that are basically lesbian albatrosses in the sense that two females set up housekeeping together, raise their eggs together. They have to get fertilized by the males, but in a sense like, okay, we're done with them. This reminds me of a line from Wonder Woman. We decided, we figured out that males were essential for reproduction, but for sexual pleasure, unnecessary. Right. So anyway, as I said, yes, these female albatrosses will just nest together and raise their chicks together and leave the guys out of it. So, and, and remember, I told you I was getting to gay seagulls, and there you have, I mean, they're albatrosses, yeah, but still. I'll, I'll take it. We'll take it. I'll take it. I think the more we find out about all the different sexual, quote, weirdness between the animal kingdom and the human kingdom, if you are, quote, sexually normal, you're the weird one. There is no, there's no real good definition for sexually normal. Like, what we try to define as normal is, it seems to be, I mean, normal is supposed to be, quote, the norm. It's what most people do with a category that most people fall into. And most people don't fall into the category of what we think of as normal. I mean, most people are going to fall into the category of straight, but most women, as we found out recently, are turned on by much more than just straight porn. So, and I mean, even though that's not, we don't know if there's anything that visually stimulates animals. We haven't found that out yet. But we do know that you're... Can we throw some funding at that? Maybe not us, but someone in science should throw some funding at that. The government should start funding whether or not gay seagulls are also turned on by heterosexual seagulls? I don't know. I want to find out what turns on gay seagulls. Or seagull porn, maybe. Oh my god, how do you make seagull porn? Carefully. <laughs> it's, I, there's, I'm trying to find a, there, I, yeah, I, sorry, I tried to start up on a dirty joke and I failed. Anyway, but in nature, the point is sexuality is a free-for-all. It's like anything you can think of, there's probably an animal that does it. And if an animal doesn't do it, then a plant does. Rule 34 applies to the animal kingdom. I love it. Rule 34 is that if it exists, there is pornography of it. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. How about interspecies sex? I know that we have that in some species, right? Yeah, I mean, you see that 
famously among horses and donkeys, which granted are closely related species, but nonetheless different, and they, of course, produce mules, unless they produce hennies, which is the other way. I didn't know there, there was a hinny. Yeah, basically, and I forget which way it goes, but basically, if it's a male horse and a female donkey, you get one kind, either a male a mule or a hinny, and if it's the other way, then you get a mule, and they're different. Isn't that interesting? In both cases, they can't, offspring cannot reproduce. And the offspring are generally infertile, yes. Chromosomally uh, similar enough to reproduce, but just different enough to not be able to make an offspring. Right. And I mean, and I've heard of other things like that, like in zoo conditions, which are, you know, clearly not what you would find in nature. You can get things like lions and tigers mating. I mean, they're both big cats, so but they're not the same species. So yeah, you definitely can't have like also a house cat mating with tiger. That wouldn't work. Technically, any size, any species, species uh, or breed of dog can breed with a gray wolf. They're technically all the same species. They're, I believe, I, I could be wrong, again, fact check me, they might be subspecies at the most, but they uh, they can all breed. They can interbreed and they can produce fertile offspring, right? I have a friend who raises wolves. We would occasionally uh, take pictures of them sitting next to each other. My t- tiny little terrier chihuahua, technically, uh, you know, if we hadn't chopped off Buddy's balls, could have bred with my friend's giant wolves. And Buddy loved those wolves. It was so cute. Are there, because I know that when it comes to turkeys, all turkeys nowadays, from what I'm aware of, are bred through artificial insemination because we've, we've mass produced them so much that their breasts are so large that they can't fuck each other. That sounds like a problem with humans, too, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes the belly just gets in the way and you just can't. If I have to dig for it, I'm just saying. <laughs> She'll find a way. <laughs> So my question is, Abby, do you know of any other species that might have a different way of reproducing? So maybe through artificial means. Oh, through artificial means or other help. Well, I mean, again, in the animal kingdom, you do get sperm casting, which is just what it sounds like. No, I mean, that's just, you know, a frog lays a bunch of... bunch of eggs on the bottom of a pond, and then a male comes along and just kind of... It's like crop dusting. Squirt, yeah, a crop dusting way of going about it. I'm so glad the male species doesn't do that. Yeah, I was about to say, I have so many horrible ideas for how sperm casting could be used in... in jo- That's going to be like the male version of our podcast. It's the sperm cast. <laughs> Dick Bigley and... No, it's, um, that's going to be like... Yes, it's that's going to be the next like the, Dick Chivers and Dick Nasty finally have a podcast together. Oh yeah, the the guys the guys that are going to be like, yeah, we could totally do this. The only reason that the girls are doing a porn cast that's successful is because they're girls and men want to. Yeah, you go ahead and do it, skeezik, because men totally want to think of think about their guy friend's voice when they're jerking off, thinking about porn. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Moving on. If all the talk about gay penguins is turning you on, we're we're glad for you. Just leave leave the penguins alone. Leave them alone. Watch March of the Penguins. Leave the Penguins alone. Moving on. Moving, <laughs> moving on. I was just going to say, when it comes to gender roles, that's another one. Oh, yeah. Where it's a complete free-for-all. Emus, which are a case where the male of the species is the one that actually incubates the eggs and takes care of the chicks. You go, Papa Emu. Right. Em- emu or emu? emu? Whatever. Emu. You go, Papa Emu. You're our, it's, I'm sorry that I ate emu, emu meat when I was in Australia now. I'm going to stay away from the emu meat. You're a good Good patriarchal right. bird. And actually, getting back to fish for a moment, there are also cross-dressing fish. Wait, what? I'm just saying the the, the peacock's kind of a cross- well, the, No, they're, they're just flashy dressers. Come on, you know. I'm just saying, that's a Liberace of a bird if I ever met it. Just saying. Yeah, yeah. But I, in terms in terms of showing off, there are also ostracods, which vomit luminous mucus in order to attract mates. 
now. I mean, is that like the sexiest thing in the world or what? Men, please don't do that at the club. Don't just. <laughs> it's, you know what? There was an amazing routine from Patton Oswalt talking about how uh, you know, there was someone who vomited into a, a you know a vomit bag on a flight next to him, and they did it so carefully and like rolled it away from him. He's like, this man was talented at vomiting. Please go listen to all of Patton Oswalt's material if you haven't, because I adore him and he makes me funnier. But yeah, it's like apparently vomiting can be done in a talented way. See, I'm now picturing like glitter vomit. There's a, I've had a theory that we could put in opaque gel caps glitter, like edible food grade glitter, and market these in pills labeled chelating pills. They're going to do all these wonderful things for your health. And people would be, and you, we could say, you can see the chelation oh, right. when, it come, when the heavy metals and come out. And then, then oh, the glitter yeah. would come out in people's poo and they'd be like, oh, I feel so much lighter and freer and, and the exhaustion's gone. And it would all be, and then of course, you know, we'd come out saying, no, no, no. And I, and it's not doing this to you. And they'd be like, but no, I know it worked. I need more of those, of those placebo glitter pills. And I think it would be amazing. But I would like to not get sued within an inch of my life. I was going to say, you might have trouble with an independent review board on that one, you know. <laughs> no, uh, all right, we will, we will do... I mean, I just backed a vomit or That's amazing. Or whatever. Right, uh, luminous, luminous mucus is actually what it is. Luminous mucus. They vomit their mucus, basically. And, but it's luminous, and they are sea creatures. And so suddenly there's this lovely, you know, glow-in-the-dark you know, aura around them when they do this, and that's how they attract mates, you know, good old bioluminescence. It's a wonderful thing. If you're in the sea, maybe you can't smell the vomit so much. It's, it's, too, yeah. it's too salty down. Maybe it's not, it's not such a deterrent. The luminosity is more of a thing. That's amazing. <laughs> well, they think it's sexy. I mean, it works for them, you know. If my husband was like, I'm going to sacrifice my comfort to make myself luminous for you, I'd be a little annoyed because I'd have to clean that shit up. But still, that would be romantic. I'm, I'm just saying, baby, put on some glitter. I'm coming home in two days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to tell you about cross-dressing fish. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Cross-dressing fish. Yes. And not just Kanye West. Okay, so there is a species of fish, and I don't remember what it is, but where basically the breeding females are guarded by the males. So they're sort of sequestered off in some way or another. So the female, the breeding females look a certain way and the males look a certain way. And, you know, the alpha males that supposedly do the breeding look a certain way. And then there are, you know, the males that are being left out. And um, every now and then, one of the males that is being left out, rather than kind of joining the scrum to become one of the breeding alpha males, it stays small and it changes color and impersonates a female and just kind of sneaks past the guards that way, pretending to be a female and inseminates the female sort of behind the line of the guards. So, I mean, that's that's cross-dressing, you know. And a little rapey. I mean, like... I was about to say... I feel like this isn't what we should give people the impression of, of what cross-dressers are. Yeah. I did not say that the females were unwilling. Oh, yeah. Remember, the females are being kept from doing whatever they're doing this by the alpha males. So they're not really getting a choice in the matter beforehand. Oh, okay. Ah, so maybe they want those guys, and this is just... this. Is is like enabling it. It could be. It's we just we can't read their fish brains yet. No, we're working on no. it. Always five to ten years away. Exactly, five to ten years. We're gonna throw some funding at it. We're gonna read fish brains. We're we're gonna call browsers and ask if they can throw money at that too. They need to drop a load on some fish. Oh hey, hey. that's amazing though. Number one, uh, dumbfounded by all these things. Number two, I'm so uh, as 
grateful about this as I've told you before and I want my audience to understand this and this is why we wanted Abby on like I uh before like I I mean people know that my brother is trans uh and I you know obviously on board with uh with with my brother I'm so happy for him he he is a much happier human being now that he's transitioned and it's not that I in any way was like was like I don't believe these people saying they're gender fluid it was just it was a new-ish concept to me and I just needed to get myself there because I'm like, I'm like, I need to f- understand this. And Abby's talk helped me understand that because it was like, does this, yeah, and I didn't want to be the person was, that was like, these damn kids are making things up because like, you know, you know, people aren't making up something up that's going to make their life harder. But let me make something up so that way I can be just, you know, more miserable. Yeah, more miserable yeah, and have people treat me differently and, you know, be angry at me and threaten me. Yeah, that's... Because being a teenager is already too easy. It's just too easy. Yeah, so, yeah, right. So, I mean, Abby's talk, and there are videos of it online. We're going to link to it in the description of this episode. Uh, and it's just, it is such a good talk. If you run a conference, hire her. People will be talking about her talk. I, I, I'm, I say this just because I loved it so much. Uh, and she knocks people, knocks people dead at every conference she goes to. And I dug it incredibly uh, so much. Uh, are there any other species that you want people to know about in case people are like, I'm still, I'm still on, the, on the edge. I don't believe this thing. This doesn't seem real to me that will bust them open with with the natural. Um, Now, one interesting thing about primates is, first of all, even among non-human primates, there are all different kinds of breeding systems. That is to say, multi-female, that's a male with multiple females, multi-male, which is a female with multi-males, and monogamous breeding systems. You find all of those different breeding systems within non-human primates. And someone did research quite a few years ago trying to see if there was a correlation between breeding systems and the ball size to body weight ratio, which looked like it could be promising for reasons of sperm competition, but it was not conclusive. It did not fully work, but it was an interesting idea. I'm just just imagining a bunch of scientists in the field measuring the ball sizes of different primates. Oh, believe me, this is what scientists do all the time. And I remember going to a seminar one time back at Oxford when I was a graduate student when there was somebody there who tended to do sort of to use a term which is overused now metadata studies but where he would look at other people's studies where they had painstakingly done measurements of every possible body part and you know weight ratios and this kind of thing and so he thought that looking at ball size to body weight ratio could be interesting and so he did this but of course this meant that sometimes people People would rib him about stealing other people's data. He didn't steal it. He used it with their permission. Yeah. That's how meta-analyses work. But there's a punchline to this. So he was giving this very seminar and he said, you know, I know what people say about me, but I want you to know that in this case, I did take data from somebody. And then he spoke the name of a colleague who was well known to all of us. And he said, John, and I won't say the last name, there you are. And that was the human ball size to body weight ratio. Wow. So anyway, yes. Thank you, John, for your valuable contributions. <laughs> Is anyone conducting current studies, I wonder, on ball size? And I want to talk to them. Oh, I'm sure they are. I'm absolutely positive they are. If you are, if you know someone, write to us, info at twogirlsonemike.com, please. This is just my own stupid question. And of course, I'm, I, I don't think you have a, I, you'll have an answer, but I want to know, how 
does one evaluate ball size? Is it circumference? Is it weight? Like how? I'm not sure. I'm I'm not I'm not sure. Is it? Do we do we do a buoyancy? Like <laughs> why are all balls ashy? And why are all, they all 120? They're all 120 years old and they're all ashy. Why? I don't know what you mean by ashy, so I can't help. Are you saying they look dry? Yeah. Maybe this is a place where they need to uh, start evaluating moisturizers that are both that that will will both engender a delightful sense of softness to the ball sack and also not cause stickiness to the area. Oh, ball cosmetics is what you're talking about here. Oh, yes, I, ball medics. <laughs> ah, this could be a whole marketing campaign for a moisturizing line where men are moisturizing their balls. Can we get this trend going? I, I'm just saying. Honey, I will totally help with this if you decide to start manscaping with some ball sturizer. <laughs> I'll I'll be on that. I, what I'm saying is I'll play with your balls more. Let's do it. Uh, let's find a company <laughs> that will that will invest in some ball sturizer. All right. Now I'm going to talk about balls in a minute, but yes. you were just reminding me about other sort of fun things to think about. Okay, so there's the whole business of mating systems, multi-male, multi-female, monogamous, this kind of thing. Ooh. So one example of a multi-male system is anglerfish, those sort of deep, deep, deep sea fish. They, they look like they've been in a bar fight and won all of them. And won, and the ones that you see are the females. What? Oh, yeah, they're the terrifying ones. Yeah, the terrifying oh. ones are the females. Oh. Yeah. And the males basically are tiny and cannot live beyond a certain age without literally attaching to a female. And a female may have more than one attached male, which of course makes it a multi-male system. Hmm. And even good old Charles Darwin described about, you know, finding an, an anglerfish, you know, a female anglerfish, and discovering, you know, a few where you could just sort of barely see that there had once been a male fish hanging on, and then other male fish that were more or less completely subsumed within the female's body. Yeah, like they'll attach and kind of merge into the body. And merge into, right. Yeah, yes. that's intense. It's reminding me of scenes from uh, from the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie where people had kind of turned into part of the ship. Oh, yes, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Figured that would be a good visual for the folks at home who are trying to... Yes, so going back to balls. <laughs> going back to balls, yes. It's, balls are very important to us, okay? Look, your ball health, you know, is our concern. Very deep concern. Yes. Very. Deep, the deepest. Very deep. Moving on. Moving on. Well, that is actually one of my favorite arguments against intelligent design in the human body. Remember, I'm an evolutionary biologist, and I'm really bothered by creationism and intelligent design. Design, to the point where I thought to myself, you know, I really ought to find a way of talking about evolution in a way that is accessible to most people so that that way I can debunk creationism and intelligent design in an accessible way. So I thought to myself, well, it's all about politics. What would a political argument for evolution even look like? Political arguments have to be short, easy to understand, easy to repeat, preferably entertaining, and call me old-fashioned, but I want mine to be true as well. Truth and po truth, truth in, in political sloganeering. Right. I'm getting the vapors, ma'am. <laughs> Anyway, so I gave myself this as sort of a thought assignment. You know, what would this even look like? I had no idea. 
but I am an anatomy and physiology professor. So one day I was standing in front of the class and we were doing reproductive systems and I had just drawn the male reproductive system on the board and there were the testicles hanging outside the abdomen as they do. And so I asked the class if anybody knew why men's testicles hang outside the body. There's usually somebody who knows. So hands, hands. Because sperm needs to stay at a slightly lower temperature than the rest of the body in order to not die on you. At least that is the answer that I was taught in school. That is correct, yes. In order to produce viable sperm, the testes have to be at a slightly cooler temperature than normal body temperature. There I was sort of swinging around to write this on the board after somebody had gotten the answer correct. And I suddenly thought to myself, that's really dumb. Why didn't they just make the sperm able to survive warmer? Yeah, could they not make, could the creator of the universe not <laughs> make sperm production and normal body temperature compatible now? I mean, seriously, how hard could that be? It's, he can move mountains, but he can't manage balls. Right. <laughs> no wonder the and, Catholic Church uh, bans condoms. This is a delicate area for Jesus, people. So anyway, and so I literally thought about that as I was, you know, writing this down, and I realized that this would be my first argument against intelligent design in the human body because once I started talking about men's testicles, people would pay <laughs> attention. And it works fair. And this is why we love her. We know dick jokes are the way to your heart and dicks are the way to my mouth. Moving on. Uh, so, but we, uh, we, we love Abby for this. It's because we, you need to know in order for, if you're to get someone to listen to you for Psycom, you need to grab their attention and this, and sometimes by the balls. Yes. Precisely by the balls. <laughs> and and we, <laughs> we love that so much. So Abby, where can our listeners find you? Okay. Let me see. You can find some videos that I have made on YouTube. You can look up my unintelligent design talk where I talk about balls and other bad body parts. And you can also see the talk that I was just talking about that I gave here at SciComm. I gave it two years ago at the American Humanist Association. It is called Everything You Know About Sex is Wrong, Part 1, The Gender Binary. I have a lovely talk that is called Animals That Shouldn't Exist According to Intelligent Design. That can also be found on YouTube. And I have written a book called The Not-So-Intelligent Designer. Why Evolution Explains the Human Body and Intelligent Design Does Not, where I talk about balls and I talk about the female reproductive system, which, let's face it, is a kludge uh, as well. It really is. It really is. And as a bonus, I talk about convertibles. What? These balls, which is to say things like rats and rabbits and things like that, actually can have their balls hanging outside in order to reproduce, Ooh. but can pull them up inside out of harm's way for protection. Abby, thank you for joining us on our little porncast. Thanks very much for having me. 